is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. This always brings me uh, great joy to, to speak those words and, and to hear that, uh, that bold response back from, from God's people. Um, and, and during this season where, where we take a moment uh, to remember the resurrection of our Savior Jesus, to remember that the one who died for us has risen and lives forevermore, we're going to be taking a look uh, at this series, uh, the simply titled Presence, Pardon, Power. And, and in those three words, what we discover is really sort of the three basic promises of the gospel. The three basic promises that Easter brings to us. That in Jesus, God has given us his presence. In Jesus, God has given us his pardon. And in Jesus, God has filled us with his power. So we're going to take about two weeks on each of those. And this morning, we kick off with beginning with the presence of God that we discover in Jesus. And it's worth noting that as we speak about the presence of God, what do we mean when we say that God is present with us? Where is it that that God promises his presence? I mean, certainly we believe that that God, being all-powerful, almighty, omnipresent, he is present everywhere. And in one sense, there, there is nowhere that we can go and escape God's presence, as the psalmist says. But where are the particular places that God promises that we can know and be certain that he is present with us? So we begin today taking a look at the promise that God is present in Jesus. In Jesus, in his incarnation, God has come to be present with us. Not just in word, but in a person. In the flesh of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we encounter the very creator of the universe. We encounter God himself in Jesus. And it is the resurrection of Jesus that reveals the truth of the incarnation. Not just that that Jesus suddenly became God at the resurrection or something like that, but rather it is in the resurrection that Jesus claimed that he is the divine Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. That claim is vindicated when Jesus rose from the dead. Why was it that the religious leaders of Jesus' day put him to death? Because he claimed to be the Son of God. A claim that Jesus never once denied making. A claim that that Jesus never doubled back from in the hour of his suffering. And that claim that he made throughout his ministry, that claim that he boldly made in the face of death, is vindicated as God raised his son from the dead on the third day. And so we discover there, certainly in the resurrection of Jesus, that God is present in Jesus. That the word of God through whom everything was made is present there in the person of Jesus Christ who walked in our midst. As we read from from Paul's letter to the Colossians, we see Paul sort of unpack this mystery for his readers. Here again what Paul says about who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As St. Paul writes, it's almost as if you read him sort of grasping for words to explain this mystery that is beyond our words. He begins saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The one who has never been seen is made perfectly known in this Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation. In other words, this is Jesus' status among creation. The firstborn in in the first century would have been the one who was the primary inheritor of everything that his father owned. So Paul here is saying that, that Jesus is the one who will inherit all that the Father has made. All that the, belongs to the Creator belongs to Jesus. But not only that, it is by Him that everything was made. Things in heaven, things on earth, things seen and unseen, thrones, dominions, rulers, all things were created not only through Him, but for Him. Not only that, but it's in Him that everything, the entire universe, is held together. The beginning. Not just the beginning of creation, but the beginning of the new creation, because He is the firstborn from the dead. And it's in Him, in this Jesus, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What Paul claims here is is very clear, very pointed, that in Jesus, in the flesh of Jesus, God is present. He is there. What we encounter when we encounter Jesus is nothing less than God. And this is the truth that all of the creeds of the church have sought to articulate, that Jesus is not lesser than God. He is not partially God. He is not a version of God but rather Jesus is truly and fully, completely God. Everything that God is, Jesus is in the flesh. As a man, as a human being, just like you and me. This is the mystery of the Incarnation, that in Jesus, in a person, God has come to be present with us. But if God has come to be present with us, present with His creation, we should probably ask, why? Why has God come to be with us? Why has He come? Why was He present in Jesus? If you look back at the Old Testament, the presence of God is is kind of a strange and, and complicated thing. 
As we talked about this in Bible study this morning, Jimmy chimed in and, and said, it's scary. As you th- see throughout the scriptures, to stand in the presence of God is, is a frightening and, and terrifying thing. It's one that, that is met with fear of, of death and judgment. One of the truths that often comes up in the Old Testament is that no one can actually see God and live. So if in Jesus God has come to be present with His creation, why has He come? Has He come to judge us? Has He come to kill us? Has He come to shame us and and cast us off and and point out all of the wrongs that we've done? Is that the reason that God is present in Jesus? It's a fair question in light of the presence of God in the Old Testament. But we see Paul say very plainly that God in Jesus comes to be present with us Not to shame us. Not to judge us. Not to point out all the wrongs that we've done and hang it over our head. But rather, in Jesus, God has come to reconcile with us. Just as Paul says, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, making peace by the blood of of his cross. You see, present throughout the scriptures is this idea that at the very beginning there was a relationship that was transgressed. Even before God gave the law to Moses, there was a relationship, a boundary that was crossed. And ever since then, humanity has sought to live as if God did not exist as if God did not matter. You know, one thing that that marriage has taught me is that perhaps the number one way to hurt someone is to treat them as if they did not matter. That, That the thing for I know for my wife, and I think the thing that I know personally that that hurts me, that hurts others, is to treat them as if they did not matter. To cast them aside into loneliness. And this is precisely what we see sin do from the very beginning. It transgresses a relationship. It treats God as if He did not matter. It treats the one who made everything as if he did not matter. As if we'd be better off without him. Sin treats God, the one who provides for everything that we need, as if we did not actually need him. It treats God, the one who continues to protect and preserve his creation, as if we could handle it ourselves. From the beginning, before even the law was given, humanity has transgressed a relationship and continues to transgress a relationship, treating God as if He did not matter. 
And God shows up in Jesus. And in Jesus, what he says is, even though you have treated me as if you did not need me, even though you you have lived as if I did not matter, as if you'd be better off without me, you still matter. In the eyes of God, you still matter. He still longs to call you his own. He still wants to bring you back to himself. And so in Jesus, God is reconciling the entire world, reconciling all things, Paul says, and as part of all things, reconciling you and me back to God. And here's the reality of reconciliation. Reconciliation always demands giving something up. It always demands giving something up. When someone hurts you, you have to give something up to repair that relationship. Even if it's the simple giving up of your right to be right. Reconciliation always demands we give something up. And that's precisely what God is doing in Jesus. In Jesus, God is present to reconcile all things, reconcile you and me back to himself. In Jesus, God has come to give something up. To give his own son up upon a cross. To give himself up unto death so that he could make peace with humanity, peace with creation by shedding his blood on the cross. In Jesus, God has come to be present with us. He has come to reconcile with us. He has come to make that relationship we transgressed whole again. In Jesus, you have been reconciled to the Father. In Jesus, our God has given something up, something dear and precious to Him, so that you could be brought back to the Father. In Jesus, God has come to be present with His creation. Not to judge or to shame, but to reconcile. To bring us back to himself. That's the gift that you and I enjoy as God's people. We have the benefit, the blessing of gathering together as a body. And enter into the presence of God. And to enter into that presence without fear, without shame, without guilt. Because he has invited us to come and to be with him by the blood that He shed for us. He's invited us to come and gather around the table, to stand there in His presence, to receive that very body and blood that has reconciled us with God. Because our God has come to be present with us. He's come to draw near to us, come to bring us back to Himself, come to repair the relationship we destroyed. And so what do those who have been reconciled do now? As those who have received that gift, what is it that you are called 
to do now? Are you supposed to just simply go on and be like, oh, that's really cool, God. Thank you for doing that. I'm going to go live my life now. We're supposed to continue on in the path that we were walking. Continue on as if God did not matter. As if nothing changed. Or to simply hold on until He comes again. I'm sure you and I both know that, that Paul would respond to those questions with by no means. Absolutely not, right? He continues on in Colossians verse tw- Colossians 1, verse 21. He says, You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, right? So you who once were far from God, once who because of your sins had been cast off, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. In Jesus, God has taken you who were once alienated, once hostile to God, once cut off from Him because of evil deeds. He has now brought you near. He has reconciled His relationship with you. But as people who have been reconciled, His aim is not to just simply have you wait around and do nothing until He comes back. His aim is not for you to just return to those things that alienated you from God in the first place. But rather, those who are reconciled are transformed. Those who are reconciled are changed and reshaped to embody the very likeness of Jesus who has come to reconcile with us. The Jesus who has come to reconcile you to the Father, He has plans for you. He has a purpose for you. He has intentions for you. He intends to present you holy and blameless before the Father. And His aim is not that you would just wait around for that to happen one day in the future, but rather that that would begin right now. Jesus, who has come to reconcile you to the Father, calls you and calls your life to reflect the reconciliation that has taken place. To to reflect the truth that though you were once cut off, you have now been brought near to the Father. The Jesus who has come to be present in your life wants to be present not only in you, not only present here at the altar, but He wants to be present through you as He now sends you to go forth to be ministers of reconciliation by proclaiming the truth of our God who has come to be present with us. So Paul calls his readers, he calls you and me, not to forget. Don't forget the message that you have seen and heard. Don't forget what our God has done, but rather continue in the faith that you have received. 
continue in the truth that in Jesus, God is present not to judge, not to shame, but to reconcile not only with you, but with all creation. Continue in that faith. Remain steadfast in that faith. Live and embody that faith to the world. Pursue holiness. Pursue blameless lives. Live each day as one who has been reconciled to God. And by faith, live confidently. That wherever you go and whatever you do, God is present with you. Amen? Amen.